the first thing I want to do is underscore something that I sent out in an email. And I don't know if you read my emails or not. Um, they might just go into the spam folder, which I understand. Um, <laughs> but I sent out a list of scriptures that have to do with the, the church, their New Testament scriptures. Some of them are whole books, like whole letters of Paul. Uh, some of them are sections of, of a letter. And um, you really can't come into a full understanding of the church unless you are spending time seeking God and seeking his heart in, in those scriptures. Um, one of the reasons why I talk during communion about Jesus' presence in the breaking of the bread is that he really has to feed you with his word. And it has to be him, right? The, all, that a, all that a teacher or pastor can ever do is point you toward the, the living and active word of God. And you need to go and grab a hold of it. Like, and no one can do, do that for you. No one can press into God in the word for you. And so I do want to encourage you to um, earnestly seek God in the scriptures that we talk about. Um, I, can, I can give teachings till I'm blue in the face. Um, and they will have no effect unless the people of God are really rising up and grabbing hold of what the word of God says. And, and letting it fill them and change them, transform them into his image. So I want to underscore that just because uh, there's a lot of great teaching, right? And I teach this material or, or scripture on a, on a regular basis, um, but I'm well aware of the fact that nothing, nothing in that body of material does a thing unless, unless people are really seeking the Spirit of God in it. So I want to, I want to underscore that um, as, we, as we dive in today. So we're back to the back to the whiteboard today, and uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I'm not sure what we're going to do next week uh, to conclude this, but I need to get I need to get on today to uh, church structure. Uh, we're going to be talking about church structure meaning the different kinds of relationships that exist within the body and the way that those work uh, in order to cause us to be um, more in the image of God. So I want to read again our, really, the, the theme verse for all church teachings, which is the end of Ephesians 4, uh, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in there, you have what we call uh, the dynamic of the church, the, the, the operating, the function of the church, which is Christ in each member, working through each member to build the body up into Christ, right? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Okay, that's the dynamic. That's, the, that's, that's what's going on in the spirit as the church is formed. It also has in here an indication that there is a structure to the church, right? And we spent a lot of time talking about how it's, it's organic, it's, it's not an organization. It's not a business model. It's, not, it's none of that. It is relationship. Right? That, is the, that is the dynamic of the church. But there is structure to the church. There are kinds of relationships, different kinds of relationships, and different ways that we are to operate in those different kinds of relationships. And that's what, that's what gives structure to the church. Okay? It's still relationship. It's still organic. But the Bible spells out different kinds of relationships, and the way we are to allow those relationships to shape us and mold us into Christ as we grow up in every way into him who is the head. Um, so this teaching is uh, very helpful for a lot of people because it, you know, we talk a lot about it's, it's love, it's the spirit and everything, and it's, it can be kind of mystical, and this is where it starts to really, the, the rubber starts to really meet the road, okay? And Especially in, in the book of Ephesians, I've mentioned this as we've been going through, the first three chapters are the truth in the Spirit. What has happened to us by the Holy Spirit in Jesus 
as the Father had, has willed, right? All this working of the Trinity uh, to, to fill us with the very fullness of God, to help us to know the love of Christ, right? These big concepts, and those are all important. Well, Ephesians also turns, and you get some of the most practical wisdom for how to live life out in chapters 4 through 6, all right? And we've talked some, we talked some about that last week, just about general relationship, process of relationship as we are as we are put together as living stones, we are shaped and placed and fitted together, and that knocks off our, our rough edges. We find ourselves placed together uh, with other people, and we, we move toward truth and unity. All right? So Ephesians ends, well, it doesn't quite end, but chapters 5 and 6 mainly had to do with spelling out various kinds of relationships. Okay, we're still talking about the church. We're still talking about this wonderful thing that God is doing in each member as he pours out his grace through the Holy Spirit into our hearts. But it's very practical and very visible. Okay? And it makes sense because if God is doing something in the unseen world, if he's doing something in our hearts, it is going to manifest itself in the physical. Now, you can't just live to the physical, but the way God works is that he works on every level of us. And so we begin to move toward the more visual, uh, uh, visible uh, picture of what the church looks like in these different relationships. Uh, okay, so this is the, we call it the circle teaching or um, the, structure of, uh, the structure of relationship in the church. Um, but how it works is this. All right, we have, I should probably put this over here. We've got, uh, this will be an individual member of the church. All right? Maybe this is you. And we've seen the basic dynamic. This person gets reconciled in their relationship to God. They are filled with the knowledge of the love of Christ. They, in God, they find everything that they need. They put on the new self, right, which is created in the likeness of Jesus. So Christ is now in this person. And we've seen that the basic stone of the church is Christ in an individual. Okay? Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in me. That's the raw material. And we offer ourselves then to God to be built together. So as he begins to place us together, and we looked at that process last week, we become aware of different kinds of relationships. So the process is this. You and me, our lives intersect. And this part is a part of God, a part of the image of God in us that we cannot experience unless we have relationship. Unless our lives intersect, I will not know Christ in some ways. Right? We can know all, all, all there is to know about God from Scripture, all there is to know about God in prayer, but we cannot know, I cannot know Christ in Jerem unless I have a relationship with Jerem. Now, unless our lives intersect. So we are then, our identity becomes shaped and, and molded by the people around us. All right? And we start to take on aspects of God that, can on, that we can only take on through the people around us. And this is an amazing thing. Um, all right, so... That's the basic process. So there are different kinds of relationships. So I'll start with this. This is one that we're all familiar with. We all know who our family is. Okay? There is not a human walking the earth that was not born of a woman. Isn't that an amazing fact? Of all the differences in all the different cultures across time, there is one thing that is constant. You were birthed by a woman. Right? Um, so, and this is where Ephesians focuses in chapters 5 and 6, primarily. But you are first a child. You come into the world as a child. Right? Even Jesus did. He had earthly parents, even though he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he had earthly parents, and he submitted to them. And there is something about God that, that we must learn, and it's act, it actually turns out to be a crucial part of who God is, that we must learn as children. Okay? So we are a child. What do we learn when we're a child? 
What is it that God wants to show us about himself? How do we know God through being a child? We learn how to joyfully submit to someone we didn't choose to be in relationship with. You learn how to joyfully submit to someone you didn't choose to be in relationship with. Which is a profound, profound lesson. And when we, you know, we'll talk about this some of the child training thing, but you as parents need to know that. That you don't exist to be a friend to your child. You exist so that your child would know how to submit to someone that God has told them to submit to. Now, a lot of joy happens within that context. But that's one of the primary things that we do as parents, is we teach our children how to obey. Um, Ephesians says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. It's so foundational. Hey, there's a whole life out there. There's a whole promised land that you will be able to enjoy if you learn how to obey your parents. It's a profound lesson. It's a commandment with a promise. Number two, we learn how discipline, you could even say holy wrath, and love can come from the same source. It can come from the same source. And actually, each is necessary for each. Right? When we know that God loves us, and so He disciplines us, we understand much more about God. When we understand that, that discipline is an expression of love, that's a profound lesson. A lot of people don't know that about God. That when they come into relationship with God, their Father, that He will begin to discipline them and shape them into His image. And people get really confused. I thought God loved me. What is it? Yes. Those whom He loves, He also disciplines. And if, you, if He doesn't discipline you, you're no child of His. Right? So we are teaching our children that to be loved by a father is to be disciplined and trained and shaped and molded. Okay? And love in our current climate is license. That's what, you know, the, the children who are most aware of their parents' love for them are the parents that let them do the most things, right? They, if you love me, you let me do this, or you'll approve of this thing in my life, or you'll accept me for who I am. Well, that's not what a parent should be. And that's not, that's not love. That's actually hate. <laughs> that's actually giving you over to slavery. It's selling you as a slave, right? That's what that is. So, you, you, as a child, you learn how to submit to parents, even imperfect parents. Okay? Your parents do not need to be perfect for you to learn how to do this, for you to learn what you need to learn about God. Right? In fact, Adam and Eve had perfect parents, perfect father, and they didn't learn this lesson. All right? So it's not dependent on the character of your parents. This is what you are called to do as a child. So there's something about God that you have to learn in your family. Now, there are broken situations where we didn't learn this with our family, either because of our doing or their doing. Well, that's, that God can deal with that. Right? God has grace. God can redeem. But it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that this is something we need to know about God. He gave us parents to know it. And if we've circumvented that, or if they've disqualified themselves in some way, we still need to learn it. Because it, it, it's, not, it's not about our parents, it's about relating with God. And we will not know how to relate to God if we don't learn that thing. Okay? And this is true of all of these places of intersection. We've got to learn. There's some God, we don't know Him fully unless we know Him in these ways. Okay? So you are a child, then you are a spouse. Most of us. I mean, some people are called to a single life, which is fine. Um, you learn something about God by getting married, okay? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's all about it's all about knowing God, right? There's something you need to know as a wife about God by submitting to your husband. And you can't know that thing that God wants you to know outside of submitting to your husband. You as a husband 
are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are to give up your life, lay down your life for your wife. And you won't know what you need to know about God unless you do that as a husband. That's the structure of the church. Um, and he says this, this has to do with Christ and the church. It's all the context of the church. Okay, I, got, I can't spend... These are each a, a long sermon or, or many sermons. So I, I have to resist the temptation to pause and expound on, on all of these. Child, spouse, parent. Now, you're, now you have the authority. Now you have children <laughs> that didn't choose you as parents but have to submit to you. There are things that the, that the Word of God says, ways of parenting um, that honor Him. He has in mind the way He wants parents to, to raise their children. And he says, one of you here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God doesn't discipline us to get at us, put us in our place. He disciplines us for our good. And over in Hebrews it says, Your earthly fathers disciplined you as it seemed the best to them. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, Those idiots <laughs> were wrong a lot of the time. But you have a father who disciplines you for your good. And we need to we need to imitate that as much as we can. Be a father the way God is a father. How do we learn how to do that? We be a son the way God is a son. First, submit to our father honor our Father. We cannot create anything in our children that God hasn't created in us first. Right? You want your children to be self-controlled? When was the time when you learned how to restrain yourself and, and honor your Father even if you didn't want to? That's what creates self-control in the next generation. So that's the, that's the order. right? No, no father gets to be a father without first being a son. And a lot of times, we don't want to go back and let God address all of the deficiencies in our life because we were a bad son. But we really want to be a good father. Well, this is how he makes us a good father, is he makes us an obedient son first. Right? This is awesome. This is great stuff. This is life-changing stuff. So, family is, is obviously a big one because it's... it's Blood, it's DNA. I mean, this is biological. These are questions, who is my, who are my parents that you already know the answer to? Who is my child? Who is my wife? You don't need to, you don't need to wonder, who are the people that I need to relate to this like? Hmm. I'm really, I've been family shopping recently, and I, you know, I just really feel called to, to be a family guy, and, and, you know, I visited the family down the road, and they did it one way, I visited the family down on the other side, and they did it another way, and I'm just not quite sure, you know, where I'll get fed the most. That's not how you choose your family, right? The lessons we learn from family are hardwired, all right? So that's really the first, and, and we can never underestimate the power of this one, all right? Because there are no truly individual people, even though the Constitution of the United States of America might, might tell you that there are. Um, there are no truly individual people. Our identities are profoundly shaped by the family we come from. And as you get into more ministry and evangelism and discipleship, you'll realize this. Um, you never truly know someone until you know at least something about their family, the family that they come from. And I'll say this. You can save a lot of time trying to get to know someone if you just peek at their family. You'll get to know them infinitely more than a thousand conversations around coffee, right? Just look at them with your family. So this tells us that we are products of, in a lot of ways, yes, we are individuals, we have individual agency, right? But we are products, in a lot of ways, of the families that we come from. Uh, at least the relational systems that we come from. Uh, so this is a profoundly important one, deserves way more uh, discussion than we're going to give it today. All right, so we're the next, we're do the next circle here. <clears throat> There's a lot of different ways to, to label this, but I'll just label it general body life. Uh, 
general body life. Being a part of a local church, a local body of believers. And this is something that God calls everyone who can, right? Obviously, if you're a prisoner of war, you can't do this. In China, uh, there are situations where you can't do this. But the normal Christian life involves belonging to a local body of believers. A, a, a fellowship. Okay? Um, and this is where this is where I would say all the, the there's a general way that, that God's people, there's a general culture of love in, in the body of Christ. And you as a, as a member of a local body of Christ, you are learning first of all um, I, I mentioned these last week, but the one another's I'm running out of room here. One another's. All the verses in Scripture, uh, Dan Shepard likes to say that every command in Scripture is relational. But definitely, the commands in Scripture in the New Testament are explicitly relational. And a lot of times, it has to do with the way we treat each other. So there's just a general way that we treat each other, represented by all those one another verses. And I'll send out a list of those. We have a list of them. That's pretty helpful. Um, but the other thing is the idea of fellowship. Uh, no one in there, right? No one could possibly read that. So. Um, yeah, this is the problem with me and a whiteboard. This is looking pretty sad, by the way, so far. Maybe we can make a better circle next time. We learn the idea of fellowship, which means belonging to something bigger than yourself. And it's not just being co-members of an organization with other co-members. It's being members of individuals, other people. My arm, my leg, my foot. Um, we are not just belonging to this group together. We are we are oriented toward a goal and a mission together. We are disciples of Jesus together, is what the church is. That's what fellowship is. It's joint, it's common participation towards a goal. All right, and our goal is seeking Jesus. So at, at its foundation, fellowship is not just socializing, it's not just a social club. We have been, the prerequisite for fellowship is that we've forsaken our lives and said we're going to follow Jesus. And so when we're placed with other people who are doing that, now we belong to a fellowship. We have a goal. We have a purpose. And we're, we're, we're reaching toward that together. It's not just an enrichment of our lives or an enhancement of the lives that we have, have dreamed up for ourselves. We have been given over to the work of the kingdom with other people. That's what fellowship, that's what belonging to a local body of believers does. It's an orientation of life. And this is one of the big problems in the American church, and I would say any Western church, is that church is, is something to add on to your life direction. God wants to give you to a people who has a direction so that you can orient your life around what that fellowship is doing. You can jointly participate in the work. And that means, that means the, the way that you make career choices, lifestyle choices, cultural choices, all these different things, you consider the body first. And you see yourself as members of the body. So every choice you make as an individual is a choice on behalf of the body. You're representing the people. So that's one thing you learn. You learn that you're part of something bigger than yourself. You learn that your life is not, that the body doesn't exist to enhance and enrich the life that you bring up for yourself. You've left everything and said, we together are seeking the will of God. What does it look like for us? And you think in terms of us. That's what fellowship is. Thinking as us. We. So being given to a, a, a people, you have a common ethos, a common uh, I don't know how to explain ethos other than the word ethos. So you have a set of, of lifestyle. You have, 
the way you train your children, right? Uh, the way you educate your children, which I would say is just an extension of child care, um, education, cultural boundaries that you set or cross, <laughs> um, lifestyle choices, uh, even uh, even like financial lifestyle. Like what kind of cars are we going to drive? Are, are we going to drive really, really nice cars or really, really bad cars? Or what, what has God called us to be in this city? How has he called us to represent the kingdom? Calendar. Schedules, right? We, we, we come together and we think body first. Right? We plan our vacations around other things in the body. This is what you learn. This is something you learn about as you, as you are really given uh, to a local body of believers. And the final thing is you, is you um, come into contact with different spiritual gifts. There are spiritual gifts in the body. And I think I may spend some time next week um, going through the different spiritual gifts because... There's a lot of misunderstanding about spiritual gifts, a lot of um, mystery around it. And it's not, it's really just, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty simple in Scripture that this is the idea that every person is different, and your difference is an asset to the whole. And your spiritual gift is the unique thing that you bring to the group that you offer up for the people around you. And so in spiritual gifts, there's this idea of, you receive it from God and you give it to the body. And you receive it from other people in the body. Right? And you let that work on you. It's fundamentally other-centered, right? And, and spiritual gifts have become sort of this, another word for like your personality profile. Which is not what it is in Scripture. Spiritual gifts are something that God has given you to give to other people. Not to identify that you need you. <laughs> Praise God, I'm the giver. I am a leader. Well, who are you leading? Go lead. Right, right? Stop. It's, not, it's not to craft your own image or identity. It's an investment God has made in his church that he's made you the steward of. And he's going to come and ask you what you did with this investment. All right, made you a leader. What did you do with that? Right? He's going to call you to account for the, gifts, for the gifts that he's placed in you. Say, what did you do? Did you reinvest it? Did you... Give it to the people I wanted you to give it to? Or did you just admire it and craft your own image with it? Right? It's the very nature of a gift. Right? If I am going to someone's, or if I can't make it to someone's birthday party, and I give the gift that I want to give to them to Isaac, and he goes, So what you're learning here is how non-individualistic the kingdom of God is. You have to learn that. You have to learn how to live in community that's bigger than you. To, to, uh, to shape your life around a group of people. Rather than take from that group of people in the ways that, that best please you. Alright. So the one another's fellowship and spiritual gift. That's general body life. <clears throat> and we see that in and we see that a lot in the New Testament. He's just addressing bodies of believers and saying, hey, this should be the general lifestyle among you guys. Do this. Right? Live this out. Figure it out together. Uh, then within the, within body life, you have close relationships. And though we learn a lot by relating to the general body. By being part of something greater than us. Also, Scripture points us to the fact that we will have people who are close to us. And Jesus himself is an example of this. He ministered to a lot of people. He called twelve to himself. And three really close to himself. And we can't have that, that many of these kinds of relationships. These are few and long range. Okay? These are the lifelong relationships. 
And it may be that the people you're friends with now are these lifelong relationships. It may not. But these are the close relationships. Um, and there's a few different kinds. One is discipleship. So, someone who's discipling you. You are called to... to um, if someone's responsible, and, and let me define this. A discipler is just someone who is helping you take steps in maturity toward being a fully given member of the team. Okay? That's what discipleship is. A person who is helping you take steps of maturity toward being a fully submitted member of the team. And so this is important for us because discipleship is not me creating a mini-me. Heaven forbid. <laughs> uh, discipleship is, um, well, we are disciples of Jesus. We're not disciples of each other. Okay? And so someone who's discipling someone else is basically taking responsibility to help that person grow so that that person can then be really a peer and so that we, we are mutually, at the end of discipleship, you should be mutually submitted to each other. Right? Like, I just have to bend. But, I mean, there's like really no difference now. I don't consider myself his disciple. I'm his pastor now, but that's a different thing. We're, we're teammates. Stephen, too. Like, I, I, I received from these guys. Right? And I was helping them mature, but man, they matured, and now they are helping me mature in a lot of different ways. Um, so that's what discipleship is. When we say discipleship, especially when we're talking about an individual's responsibility to help someone grow, uh, we're talking about basically someone who's been on the job a couple of years longer and can help you find where the break room is, right, until you get up and running. And now you're working together, right? Um, so discipleship is not ownership. It's not even really mentorship, meaning like I have some wisdom that I'm imparting to you. It's really just helping someone become integrated into what God's doing in church. Um, there's this mystique around discipleship where it's like this master and apprentice. That's not how it is. Jesus is the master. We're all his apprentices. And some have been apprenticing for longer. It can help you be a better apprentice to the master. That's it. Uh, so, discipleship. Great biblical example of this is Paul and Timothy. Right? He was clearly identified. He said, my child in the faith. Um, and he was passing on everything. He said, you take it, run with it. Right? And he even released him into authority, apostolic authority. He said, listen, you know what I'm about. You know what I've taught you. Now you go and teach that. I put you in place to set elders in all these churches. That was the end of, of Timothy's life. So discipleship, friendship. Okay, you will have close friends. Uh, but it's a little different in the church because friendship, again, is friendship around what the master is doing. Okay, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, no longer do I call you servants. Now I call you friends. Why? Because I've told you everything you've got. You know what I am at my core. And, I'm, and you're doing that with me. We are friends. Okay? This is what friendship is in the kingdom. It's not kind of this, you know, worldly, I satisfy you, you satisfy me. And if you ever stop satisfying me so much, I'm, you're not so being much of a friend to me. Right? Friendship in the kingdom is friendship around what Jesus has revealed about what he's doing. And we get to know that together and we find each other in that. There's also a lot of great passages on friendship in Proverbs that you can look at. It's very different than worldly friendship. Friendship in the world is jacked up. It is just, it does not resemble that. The expectations that we have on friends when we come to the church are not at all the expectations that Scripture spells out for biblical friendships. God honors friendships. We like to flatter each other. We like to make sure we don't step on each other's toes. The Bible tells us, don't flatter each other. You don't lie to each other. Don't gossip about each other. All these different things about friendship. Again, we talk about laundry. Um, accountability. So we have friendship, discipleship. Um, accountability is really something that happens in both of those kinds of relationships. So that's not really a separate thing. Um, and also you will be, you will have team. 
whether that's in a specific outreach uh, season of out a season of outreach, or whether it's like a worship team. You know, we don't have a worship team at the moment, uh, but we'll we'll grow. Um, being on a worship team, being on any team that's that's given to a particular kind of ministry, you'll have teammates in that work, and those will be close relationships. It's like when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. Right? They had they had teamwork. All right, so those are the close relationships, and we learn stuff about God through those close relationships, and there's a way that Scripture spells out that we uh, operate in those relationships. All right. I think I can, uh, I think you can get through these other. Ordained authority. Ordained authority. Uh, specifically elders and deacons. Um, there are ordained, the people that God has placed in authority over his church are people whose lives have demonstrated that they've taken on the character of God. Um, in, you can see in Timothy and Titus the qualifications for elders, the office of elder, is not a spiritual gift. It's not someone who has a knack for leadership and vision. An elder in the church is someone who has laid down his life for his wife, has laid down his life for his children in a way that has caused them to flourish and come into who God has created them to be. That's what we see. I mean, that's the essence of those qualifications. So someone who's done that in their own family, who's been tested and tried, and is acknowledged by the community as a godly person, they are set in authority over God's church. Why? Because they've wielded authority in a way that honors God, in a way that protects his own bride. So he's going to protect the bride of Christ. Okay? Uh, deacons. So elders, they really give governmental authority and, and also doctrinal authority to the church. They set broad direction, structural direction. Deacons oversee the administration of the church. And it's not like those are the blue-collar guys and then you got the elders who are sort of the, the head honchos. Deacons are just as full of the Spirit. right? If you see the first seven deacons in the book of Acts, they are men, the first thing he said, men full of the Spirit. right? As full of the Spirit as any prophet, as any, of any uh, pastor that you know, a deacon who can administrate the affairs of the church. And who can make sure that needs are met in the way that they need to be met. Make sure all the, all the human resource that's in the church is leveraged properly. In a way that honors God and in a way that accomplishes the work of God. Um, so ordained authority, the big point here is that the basis of ordination is a character of life. Is a maturity. Okay? A proven maturity of life. Um, our role towards these men is to submit. It's just a lot like parents. It's not to question. Right? Scripture is very clear. Do not. Do not confront an elder unless you have two or three people who are seeing the same things. You can't just say, ah, I don't like the way they do it around here. You have no right to do that. Actually, it says don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the evidence of two witnesses, two or three witnesses. So that means... If someone is saying, I'm not sure about this direction that we're going, you are not to receive that accusation. Unless there's two or three other people who are genuinely concerned and there's, there's truth at stake, not personal preference. Okay? So we're called to submit to these men in this direction that they set. When a deacon is organizing service or need, needing, uh, meeting needs, we give ourselves as much as we can. Uh, to help meet those needs. We make, in Hebrews it says, obey those who have the rule over you. Make it a joyful thing for them to rule over you. you don't make them chase you down. All those kinds of things. Okay. Um, finally, uh, equipping ministers. Equipping ministers. So this would be, you could, it's also called the five-fold ministry. There's, I think, an overly 
flowery title for these people, um, the fivefold ministry. And that's uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In, in Ephesians 4, it talks about how God gave these men, and what's their role? To equip the saints, that's y'all, for the work of the ministry. Okay? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, so, what that means is that every person in the body of Christ is a minister. Oftentimes we call the pastor the minister. That's not true. The pastor, uh, the, the pastor is the one who helps all the ministers really come into the fullness of what God has called them to do. Everybody's fully given to the work. And pastors and teachers are equipping those people to do the work. All right, so we don't have time to go through each of these. But real quick, apostle, we don't have a clear... This is one of the things that the church through the generations has sort of differed on. Uh, We don't have a clear understanding of what an apostle looks like today. Um, But I do know this, that an apostle today wouldn't teach or do anything different than an apostle in Jesus' time would. They wouldn't contradict the gospel, the doctrine that's laid down for us by the actual apostles, Paul, Peter, right? And so we're on solid ground by giving ourselves to the writings of the New Testament. We we are submitted to apostolic authority insofar as we submit our lives to their writings in the New Testament. That's one way to submit to an apostle, is to know that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And you are a Gentile. Is everybody a Gentile? I think so. We don't have any Jews in here, do we? Ethnic Jews. No, I don't think so. Um, Okay. So an apostle... A prophet, again, both the, the person, but also the scriptural writing, prophetic writings, okay? Um, we can submit to some of these offices in scripture itself. Evangelist, this is someone who's, like, we're all called to do evangelism, but this is someone who's gifted to basically unlock that anointing in us, or to lead out, um, who's, who is an evangelist, okay, and uh, when they are around and when they operate in their ministry and their gifting, we are equipped to go do evangelism. So that the, the equipping ministry of evangelism is the ministry of equipping the church to do evangelism as each individual you know, can. Right? Uh, pastors and teachers, I'll say this about the way that we build in particular, that pastors oversee uh, an individual church and work with a team of home group leaders to shepherd small bodies. And we keep our churches small uh, because we see the, the role of pastor or shepherd as one of being the, the point person for a, a small congregation. And a pastor is on a team of uh, ordained authority to give shape and to lead local congregations. Um, the role of a pastor is, is pretty simple. It's to, it's to feed Right? And it's, it's just a shepherd. Everything that you see in the Bible of shepherd doing, this is what a pastor's role is, is to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep, and to lead the sheep, right? to, to give guidance and, and, and direction. Um, and then a teacher is uniquely equipped to, to speak forth, to, to, to impart knowledge of Scripture or just general knowledge and wisdom to the body in a way that most people can understand. Uh, and, and that really is a gift, right? Some people can teach, some people can't. And uh, that, that is one of the gifts. But these are ministries that we are to, again, we're, we want to focus on what's my role in this relationship? These are the relationships that exist. What am I to know God in each of these things? Okay? And I want to, I want to read an interesting scripture that you've probably read before, but maybe not in light of all this. But this is actually where, in, in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul's getting ready to spell out a lot of this stuff. And this is what he says. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And this is where I'd say to anyone who's recently graduated or went to a graduation, that the will of God is not something that is like some road that's laid before you that you're going to go walk down. The will of God is a kind of person, right? The will of God is for you to be like Jesus. (laughs) There are very few times in your life where you should wonder what is the will of God. Do I really know what the will of God is? You know it. Paul is saying, don't be foolish. Understand what it is. It's right in front of you. <laughs> so many times the will of God is right in front of us, and we, we, we just walk around in this fog wondering what the will of God for my life is. It usually means, when am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? What kind of job am I going to have? And it's all this self, self-reflexive wondering about our own, our own identities. Well, as far as we are walking in all of that muck, we're not going to understand the will of God. And that's actually foolishness, I think. This is some of the foolishness that Paul's talking about. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. In other words, don't give yourself over to stuff that dulls, that, 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 be, that begins to master you. Right? Don't, don't, don't surrender your cognitive ability to substances or pleasure, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Give yourself over to the Holy Spirit so that where it leads, you will go. Wine will lead you one way. The Spirit's going to lead you another. Addressing one another, and, he, and then he plunges right into community. Will of God. Don't walk around in a, in a fog. Understand what the will of God is. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, reminding each other who God is and why he should be praised. Start there. You want to know the will of God? Have a conversation about how, how awesome God is. Actually, try and go sing with someone about how awesome God is. And then, and then you'll just, that fog will just go, <laughs> what was I worried about? What was I wondering about? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're to submit to one another. But it's tacked on the end of that amazing passage. You want to understand what the will of God is? Get excited about who he is and what he's doing together. Get so thankful to him. Just get lost in gratitude. Thank God for everything that happens in your life. Always and for everything. Thank God for that hard day you had. Because now you know him better. Thank God for everything. And give yourselves to one another. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, look at this. Look for this. Look at the relationships you're in. And give yourself to those so that you can know Christ. Right? Do you want to know the will of God? Obey your parents. You'll find the will of God. You won't find it. You'll be doing it. You want to know the will of God? Devote your life to a local body of believers. You want to know the will of God? Get discipled. Attach yourself to someone and say, I like the way your life is. I like the way that you serve the kingdom. Will you teach me how to do that? You can call me anytime. Uh, I'm n- you're never going to have to schedule a meeting with me. I'm going to schedule the meetings at a time that's convenient for you. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I want to be discipled. Show me how... To walk the way you're walking. Give yourself to friendship. Hey, would you please tell me, can you give me an honest assessment of myself? How well you think I'm giving myself over to what the master is all about? Tell me. All right. Thank you for sharing that with me. (laughs) Um, What is the vision of this church? What is the direction we're walking in? Who is my elder? How can I submit to them? Um, What are the deacons of the church... What are the real needs that they're carrying that I could maybe help give myself to? Who is my pastor? Who, is my, who are the teaching ministers in my life? Am I really being diligent to listen to what they're saying? Am I receiving from them so that I could be equipped to do the work of ministry? Right, so this is how you understand what the will of God is. Just look around you. Name these people. Get a chart. <laughs> Name these people. 
and go do what the Word of God says in those relationships. And you will find yourself living an amazing life. You'll find yourself given over to the purposes of God. And you'll find everything that you never need to find <laughs> about the will of God. Okay? The will of God is not something that we have to go off in a closet and come try and figure out. It's in the people that he gives you to. We are to love him with all of our heart. That's what he wants. It's the will of God. And to love each other. And if you live your life giving yourself to that, you will have lived a life full of doing the will of God. doesn't matter who you marry. doesn't matter what job you had. doesn't matter what kind of stuff you owned. Because very often that, those specific things aren't as much the will of God as it is how you relate to those things. Okay? I, I, I'm fully convinced, and you can argue with me if you want, it doesn't matter who you marry. It matters how you love them. I think that any man and any woman can get married and accomplish the will of God. I believe that. Okay? Now, we want to say, well, what if they're not compatible? And what if they can't stand each other? Well, ultimately, that doesn't have to do with the will of God. Now, I think attraction is a good thing. Right? All of that's a good thing. All of these are things that God has given us. But it doesn't matter who you marry. I don't think it matters what job you do to make money. I think some people have gifts, and they should use them and leverage them. But it does not matter what you do. It matters the way you approach that. The way you live unto that, unto God in that. And people want to know specifics about the will of God. But they haven't learned how to give themselves over to the way God wants them to relate to other people. And so they can't find the will of God. It's just one, one big decision to the next. We live our lives in a string of career moves and uh, church moves and family decisions. And we really haven't found the will of God. Because it's the church where the purpose of God is being lived out. And we can give ourselves to it. Or, or we can stay on the fringes. Um, so that's the structure of, of the church. And uh, it will set you free. I remember the time when this set me free. It was like, oh, I have a lot fewer questions about God's will for my life than I, than I do, than I did before. All right, okay, I know all this stuff. I can wake up in the morning and I'm not confused. I know who I'm given to. And all I need to do is consult God and ask for his strength and help to be who I need to be in this relationship in a way that honors him. And that is, that is it. That's how you find purpose, and that's how you are given over uh, to the will of God. Amen? Any, uh, any questions or anything to add, throw in here?